Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China this time. And during this podcast, we got a special guest, Bethany, who's been spearheading our publishing efforts for Back to Jerusalem at Underground Publishing House. Bethany, so great to have you with us again. And yet we got another book, so it means another podcast. Not just any book. This book is like, I, I think, one for the books. <laughs> this well, is I think maybe maybe we should say so. Um, for those that, that have not heard previous podcasts or, or you haven't heard, you know, many, um, when we began Underground, so Underground is, is new. We only began Underground publishing this year. And so um, it's very new. It's about six months old at this point. And it came from a whole bunch of, of things, um, which is pretty amazing, really looking back. But that that's for a different time. But our intention in the beginning was that... Um, we would take these old books, which you will have heard about if you've heard any of the podcasts or read anything on the Beach Day website now. We would take these old books and we would kind of try and breathe new life into them and, and get them out to a modern audience because they were books written 100, 200 years ago that had a, a real big impact on our lives today in 2023. Um, and yet they were kind of lost to history in the public domain. And so we felt like, okay, there's a way that we can republish these and and they can you know really impact people's lives today but we had never really considered doing uh like an original work with underground um we've had back to jerusalem books out in the past with other publishing companies that we've loved working with but this is the first one that we have ever done um that was written by us or by you i should say so this is quite different to our other books this book is something that really Underground Publishing House gave birth to, not just as the publisher, but one of the things that you and I have been doing that we've been working on, it hasn't really been released yet, is Chasing Legacy, right? You and I have been doing this filming effort where right. we're going to these different churches, these, these, these old archives, and we're digging out these old missionary letters, these, these, um, 100, 150, 200 year old uh, letters and notes from the field, whether it be India or Africa or China. And we're, we're just kind of digging up these, these memories of what the early missionaries went through. And during the process, you and I began to read a lot of writings from different missionaries. And, and for me, it was like, well, what what grandfathers out there, what what big names do we know of that really we don't have a lot of information on? Robert Morrison became one of those people, and I began to really dig down and look into the Robert Morrison uh, biographies, of which there were few. I didn't realize how little had been written about Robert Morrison. 
I didn't realize that the last real biography hadn't been written about him for over a hundred years. And even the first biography to come out was kind of like this hodgepodge where nobody really wanted to write it because there were so many things happening at the time. I mean, Robert Morrison died in China, uh, serving on the field kind of unexpectedly. He got pneumonia, sick, died, and he was working as a translator at the time for the uh, embassy, the British embassy in China. And his son was with him. And his son didn't really know him that well, but his son spoke fluent Chinese and immediately was able to fulfill his father's obligations as a translator. So when the idea of writing Robert Morrison's biography came out, there were so many people that just said, I just, I don't know him that well. Like he was, he was, he was so productive. He was so ingenuitive and he was kind of a loner. I mean, he worked with so many people. He set the sound foundations for so many missionaries, but yet he didn't contact with certain people on a daily basis. So nobody felt adequate enough to be able to tell his entire story. And his son, who knew probably the most, even he grew up without his father because he, his mother died at an early age. And so he was sent to England in a boarding school. So he grew up away from his father and hadn't known him really for years. And when he did come back, he didn't have the time, nor the maybe he didn't feel like he was adequate, like he wasn't an author, he wasn't a writer, he wasn't trained as a as a as a historian or a biographer. So maybe he just didn't feel adequate enough in any way. And so then his wife, his second wife, because his first wife died, um, she felt obligated, but she really didn't feel like there was anything that she could add because he had served the majority of his life on the field without her. It was only his last couple of years with her being married on the field that he passed away. So there was so much that she didn't know. So she tried to use his own writings, his diary, and, and extract a lot of that. But some of it was very confusing. There was a lot of dense information that wasn't given a lot of context. And so even when I read the biography, I just felt like it was lacking so much. You learn about China, but you don't learn about the, the father of missions to China which is Robert Morrison, which I found extremely sad. That gave us, I feel, this amazing, not just opportunity, but in some ways, a, a commission to write this biography. Yeah, and it, it was kind of one of those things. Sometimes you hit on things where you just have that feeling. You and I laugh about the idea of like, you know, that gut feeling, um, which we had about starting Underground. And as soon as we started talking about Robert Morrison, um, you, uh, for people that don't know you, are a kind of go a little bit insane when you start researching something. Like once you're, you're kind of a dog with a bone where once you get an idea or a person or a topic that you're interested in, you really kind of go after it. And um, so I started realizing that as we're writing or, or sort of editing and publishing these other books, you're just going back to this Robert Morrison thing all the time and you're digging. And um, I, I think we should talk about the Duff maybe here because that was kind of a, a big part of this too, is you discovering about the Duff. Um, and it's this amazing story, which maybe I'll let you share about more in a minute. Um, 
which is kind of unlike anything you've ever heard. And then there were all these jumping off points. Um, where I'm at right now in the UK is a place called Rotherham. And even if you ask people an hour away, you know, about Rotherham, no one will have a clue what you're talking about. I mean, people don't know Rotherham. People that do don't have a good idea of it. And um, it's way up in the north of England. And yet, turns out there was um, a missionary training school in this tiny town called Rotherham. And so we found all these really cool links um, as we were researching um, and so many kind of side stories and, and, and people that, I mean, we say that Robert Morrison laid the foundation, but so many people laid the foundation for him, right? Which is kind of the idea we have behind Chasing Legacy. Um, and so all these pieces started to come together. And before you knew it, you kind of had a book. Because there was so much. I mean, before I even got to the Duff, I was reading about the London Missionary Society which I did not know the impact that the London Missionary Society had. Um, the London Missionary Society was not that old, but, and it didn't last that long. But the impact that they had on world missions was phenomenal. There's this, this character that kind of, uh, in, in our minds, kind of rose up above all, else, all others. His name was David Bogue. Do you remember writing about David Bogue and reading about him? I have to say, I know the books about Robert Morrison, but David Bogue is, is my favorite person in the book by far. Yeah, I mean, David Bogue um, just stood out as a giant among men. And most people have never heard about him before. Uh, basically, he is this guy that uh, God called... Uh, to run a missionary society. And he did the sacrifice that so many people in the world have to make. He believed that God gave him a mission for India. And he really wanted to go to India because he was a firm believer like you and I are in Matthew 28, 14, where it says that um, the good news will be preached to all the world and then the end will come. So he wanted to get the good news into the hands of the most unreached people groups on the earth. And who's more unreached than the most populated nations who've never heard the good news? I mean, you can take out a massive chunk of the unreached people groups just by targeting two nations, China and India. And so David Bogue had this, had this vision to take the gospel to India, but God never let him go. Instead, God kept him in England against his will, and he was put in charge of a Bible school that was connected with the London Missionary Society. Now, you have to think back 200 years in England, right, for this to make any sense. During this time, the, 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 in England, you still had a state church that controlled everything. It was the Anglican Church. And the Anglican Church, or the Church of England at that time, they controlled missions, Bible printing, seminaries, who got to preach, who didn't, who became a pastor, who didn't. Who became a bishop who didn't like they controlled everything and if you found yourself outside of the anglican church or outside of the church of england you were ostracized from society forget about promotions forget about education forget about getting an opportunity to go to school to even learn about the bible to go to other countries it just didn't happen 
But David Bogue and some other free thinkers came along and they're like, no, we don't need the government to authorize us and tell us whether we're qualified or not. Who told Jesus that he was qualified? It certainly wasn't the qualified individuals of his day, which were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. If qualification had to go through them, then the Messiah would have never raised up his own students. Which is why they called Jesus rabbi, even though he was not appointed by any authority whatsoever. He did not get the stamp of approval. He did not go through the best synagogues or uh, become an understudy for the most famous rabbis. And yet, they still gave him the respect of calling him a rabbi because of the kind of teachings and the power that he exhibited when he was out preaching the good news to the people of Israel. David Bogue and a few rogues at that time had the same idea. And they're like, okay, so we don't get registered by the, the church in England. Okay, so we, we are ostracized from funding and qualifications and education. Let's create our own. Let's do it ourselves. And so they built the London Missionary Society which was, it, we tell the, the very foundations, we tell the story of probably one of the greatest missionary organizations to ever come into existence. And I don't say that lightly because this mission organization didn't just send out Robert Morrison. They were associated with the very first missions to India. They were associated with the very first missions to the... Um, Pacific Islands. They were associated with the very first missions to many nations within Africa. And they were associated with the very first printing of the Bible. They started the London Tract Society and the, the London Bible Society. I mean, there was so much that came out of here. And so this, this David Bogue started a, a mission training facility in Gosport, a place in England, in Southern England. Uh, just right across the water, I think, from, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the city in southern England, right there on the water. Not Kent, but another city. Anyway, so Gosport is right across the river from a major metropolitan area. Um, it Basically, it was run on a shoestring budget. Uh, the, the, the school was set up in a way where it was kind of these, this circular housing group where people that were a part of the local church would allow the students to come and live with them inside their homes. And then they lived and ate inside the homes. And they, these, these, these homes would basically adopt a student while they were going through a two-year training facility. And this training was hard. Students died. Robert Morrison, while he was there, literally had a student die in his arms. A story that's never told in any of the biographies of Robert Morrison. None of them. For the very first time ever through the, through the story of Robert Morrison, we're able to tell the story of the London Missionary Society, how it started, where it started, when it started, why it started. Great giants like David Bogue and many others, how a student died and why he died and when he died and how that had an impact on Robert Morrison. How does a biography skip that? Almost no biographies actually cover the details of the death of his wife or his two children in China 
and how they were not given any burial plots in their area where they lived on the island of Macau until this biography. And in this biography, for the very first time, we link the story of the Duff with the story of Robert Morrison. Is that the story you want me to tell? I think so. Just because this sounded to me like some kind of like Pirates of the Caribbean Bible School reboot. And I just I just thought it was so, so cool. Kind of well, and also very tragic. Um, but a story that you think like if I was a kid in Sunday school, I would love to hear stories like this. Um, just there's there's so many amazing adventures and stories that the, these guys had that we just don't know today. So yeah, I, I think you should you should tell it. Most people have never heard of the Duff. But in this biography with Robert Morrison, we tell the story because they're directly linked together. You see, in the late 1700s, and when I'm talking about 1700s, when I'm talking about these mission trips to China, you have to remember this is in the this is in the heat of the American Revolutionary War. England was at war with America. Robert Morrison was surrounded by people that had bigger problems than completing the Great Commission. And yet it was out of this time that we get this massive indigenous, it feels like it's somehow disjointed, but at the same time uh, organized, even though it's not, mission movements several independent mission movements that are starting at the same time. There was definitely this grassroots movement that was taking place that focused on freedom and the gospel. And that was something that had taken root in the American colonies. And a lot of people see that as, oh, this is all about taxes. But it was more than taxes. Trust me. The, the, the very first patriots in the American colonies who fought against their own family members in England. You have to remember, the patriots weren't Americans. There was no such thing as Americans at that time. They were British. And they had family. Most of them, or many of them, had family members in England. And so they considered themselves British, not American, because America wasn't a place. It wasn't a country. At that time, it was a colony. But there was something that was moving, moving that was greater than money. If you think the American patriots fought their kinsmen in England based on the fact that they were getting charged too much taxes, I think you miss the spirit of the revolution. Because there was this feeling about freedom. There was feeling about independence. The feeling about freedom of speech. Freedom of press. That was just starting to burn like prairie fire all over the colonies. And it gave the people the spirit of, I don't care if I live or die, the Patrick Henry cry of give me liberty or give me death. That cry was not just with the colonies. It was with their cousins and brothers and family members of the Brits as well. So right in the middle of the Revolutionary War, which was happening between England and the American colonies at the time, was right smack dab in the period of the Duff. 
So the, the, the missionaries that wanted to leave out from England wanted to go to India and China, but they couldn't. And the reason that they couldn't is because the ships leaving from England into India and China were run by the East India Trade Company. And the East India Trade Company made money by trading opium from India into China. And the people in China were getting addicted to this drug. And everybody involved in this drug trade knew the dangers of drug addiction. Now, today it's easy for me and you to listen to the drug addiction and just assume that it's always been known, but it hasn't been. People didn't know that there were addictive properties in drugs, not scientifically, not medically. I mean, they had intuition, but there had never been anything to be proven about it. So you had these opium dens throughout all of China and it broke the Chinese uh, people's hearts to see an entire generation go to waste in these opium dens where they would just go in and get high all day long. And the Brits just kept feeding it to them because they would give anything for the opium, including China, which was like a porcelain, um, also silk, so the silk trade became big, big, big money. Land was taken. Products were taken. And they were all moved throughout the rest of the world, including back and forth to Europe, that made a bunch of money. And the people in the government, as well as the East India Trade Company, knew one thing. That was this. You start bringing those freaking fanatical Christian missionaries into India and China, they'll screw everything up. They will, they will start to tell people that drugs are bad. They will get people off those addictions. And that messes with our money. So England made it against the law because of petitioning that came from the East India Trade Company, which had a lot of interest in the government and vice versa. And so they made it illegal for missionaries to travel directly from England to China, which means Robert Morrison could not get on any ship. So the missionaries in the 1800s, sorry, in the early 1800s and the late 1700s came up with an idea. Instead of relying on the ships, the merchant ships, the trading ships of the East India Company, let's start our own. So they found this captain that was, uh, he had studied under Captain Cook and many of you that have watched Disney movies or a lot of uh, fantasy kind of pirate movies, you'll hear about Captain Hook. Captain Hook is based on the historical figure, Captain Cook. And one of the, one of the uh, lieutenants under Captain Hook, who was very educated, very experienced, had gone around the world, knew his stuff when it came to uh, being a seaman and navigation, was chosen to be the captain of the ship that was bought by the London Missionary Society. And that's when it gets wild. Because then the London Missionary Society begins to send missionaries into other countries using this ship. And in many ways, it was a disaster. And in many ways, it was, a, it was prayers answered. It, to quote a famous author, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And the Duff became this notorious and famous ship 
for bringing missionaries to the field, abandoning them, but then changing the history of the world. Powerful story. And, and you, you read and edited the, the book of the Duff. I mean, what were you thinking, Bethany, when you first read the story or the things that I was writing about the Duff? Um, well, you kind of in two minds, right? Because just like you're sharing, it was the best of times and the worst of times. In so many ways, the Duff proved that it was possible to to think outside the box, to do missions in a way that had never been done, to 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 kind of go for these ideas that seem impossible when in conversation. But actually, the Duff did get off the ground. The Duff did leave the harbor. The Duff did take these missionaries. Yes, perhaps it was a disaster, you know, looking at it. Um, but in so many ways, it, it, I mean, so when you look at things in missions that may look like failure, for example, if we look at the Boxer Rebellion, you've talked many times, if anyone's watched Chase and Revival, about how the fact that the Boxer Rebellion actually drew more missionaries to want to serve in China. And I think our way of viewing failure and success in ministry and mission or just generally as believers, um, we sometimes get get backwards. Um, there was, as you were speaking, I was trying to find a, a David Bow quote I remembered in the book and I actually found it about the way that he perceived missions and training um, because it it wasn't, I don't want to make it out like, you know, missionary schools and Bible schools today have no substance because that's, it's not true. Um, and that would be really unfair. But David Bogue was a radical and he had a, mentali a mentality that I don't know of really today. Um, and so uh, this is something he used to say. So it says that, uh, Dr. Bogue believed that the school should be hard enough to discourage students. So you have to remember that David Bogue is actually running the school after the, the tragedy of the Duff has happened. David specifically selected students that were a little older because he believed that they had enough time in life to have already denied their faith if they were going to. He wanted to create the kind of pressure that would help identify flakes who were likely to deny Christ in the midnight hour. Older students tended to be less flaky on the field. There was a maturity level common among the students at GoSport. Bogue was a serious man and he demanded serious students. If you were late to class, he kicked you out. If you failed exams, he kicked you out. If you complained, he kicked you out. He wouldn't deal with complainers. He used to say to his class, if they complain during education, they will complain during execution. <laughs> I remember hearing that line and being like, okay, oh. I feel like I understand this guy. Like maybe if the apostle Peter was going to run a training school, maybe it would look like this. <laughs> like I just felt like there was just part of him that I understand today he would be criticized to kingdom come, you know, like we, we really go the other way today. But that heart that he had, it's kind of that Hudson Taylor feeling where Hudson Taylor was like, look, I don't care if you want to send single females to the mission field. I'll take them when nobody else would because he's like if you're willing to come and give your life even if you last six months in my mind you've sown six months into the ground here and so yeah I just I love that even after the duff and and everything that Dr. Bogue experienced even though he himself never made it to the field I mean we talk about chasing legacy 
I feel that messages in churches so often today are about how I'm called and I have a destiny and I'm born for such a time as this. And it's like I am the culmination of the people that have gone before me. And almost as though there's no one coming after me. You know what I mean? Dr. Bo wasn't consumed by the fact that he never made it to the field. He understood that if he could be obedient where God had placed him and invest into the lives of these guys, that it would have so much more impact um, than if he himself would have made it to the field. And when you look at GoSport, the place where that Bible, the London Missionary Society Bible School was, they only had like a hundred and something students. Let me see. I can't remember exactly how many students. Um, I'm, let me see if I can look that up somewhere. Uh, I know it wasn't many. Um, he did not have many students, and yet that school produced um, so many well-known individuals that um, it, they they ended up being in the like the British National Museum. The, the works that they did because, oh, here it is. In its short history, let me read a portion of the book, Bury Me in China. This is the story about Robert Morrison. Don't get me wrong. But there's so much tapestry that is knitted in to Robert Morrison's story that it's not possible to really understand how big of an impact Robert Morrison was without seeing the ripple effects in the water from his life. And one of those was Gosport. And David, uh, David, uh, Pastor David was one of the people that invested into his life. So this is page 55 of the, um, of the, of Bury Me in China. It says this, in its short history, Gosport Academy only trained 200 young men. They were all handpicked and trained, trained by Dr. David Bogue himself. Each one would eventually be world changers. Many would be martyrs in the process. 13 of those students would eventually be found memorialized in Britain's Dictionary of National Biography. Out of the meager 200 students, most were sent to nations where no missionary had ever been sent before. Not only did David eventually hand-select Robert to go to China, but he sent his students for the first time to be missionaries to Malta, uh, Damiria, which um, that was an old name for old world country, Siberia, Africa, Calcutta, Madras, islands in the South Sea, Surat, Java, Bellary, Malaysia, Burma, Singapore, Malta, Bangalore, Macau, Hong Kong, Ghent, Trinidad, as well as Flanders, which is in Holland, France, the USA, Australia, and Canada. I mean, 200 students, you almost have 200 nations there. And he was able to send them out, many of them being the very first foreign missionary ever to reach the shores of the nations where they were sent. And their ripple effect echoed throughout time. Even with the big giants that we hear about, I mean, many of you that are listening to this podcast, you may have never heard of Robert Morrison before, but we have one special chapter of a missionary that maybe you have heard about before, Hudson Taylor. Have you ever heard of Hudson Taylor before? Probably one of the most famous missionaries to ever set foot on the shores of China. We end this book to show how Robert Morrison's story directly ties in to the story of Hudson Taylor. 
I don't know if you have the PDF sitting in front of you or the book sitting in front of you, Bethany, but it, I would love to finish with the final chapter. The final chapter, if you would just read it, um, uh, I, I feel like just the name of it is kind of cool. Yeah, uh, can, am I coming through okay for you enough to read a, a chapter? Yep, you're coming through really, really well. Okay, great, because, um, yeah, I'm losing you a little bit. But if you can hear me, then that's fine. Do you want to give, like, a little intro to this chapter, or do you want to just go straight in? Yeah, I can give a little bit of an intro. Um, the, the thing with this last chapter that I absolutely love, and one of the reasons why I wanted to share it is because a lot of people are not familiar with, or maybe nobody. It's a really short ending, and whenever you see an ending, it's always called the epilogue. Right? Well, we broke a few rules in writing this book because we published it ourselves and we will publish it in the way that we feel has the greatest impact. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're underground publishing. Do what we like. <laughs> uh, if you look at the very last chapter, instead of just being called the epilogue, we call it the epilogue of the three Marys, which in many ways kind of reverts back to, to the New Testament, right? The three Marys of the New Testament. Here we have three Marys that have a huge impact on the history of missions in China. The history of missions with Robert Morrison, and they are the tie-in that dovetails perfectly into the story of Hudson Taylor. And so we tie that in to show you the continuation. This is almost the, the, the prequel to the Hudson Taylor story. There's been a lot of, of um, biographies written about Hudson Taylor. Even though there's almost none written about Robert Morrison, there's been so many done on Hudson Taylor. So we wanted to do the prequel, the story that's never been told. But for the epilogue of Bury Me in China, the untold story of Robert Morrison, the very first Protestant missionary to ever go to China, the very first person to ever translate the Bible into, China, into the Chinese language, the very first person to ever put on the Chinese dress and to go into the interior part of China to preach the good news, the very first person to ever train a national, a local, an indigenous individual to preach the gospel themselves to the people of China. Robert Morrison dovetails so perfectly into the story of Hudson Taylor. We did that at the very end called the Epilogue of the Three Marys. Can you read that? Hudson Taylor shuffled across the room, bringing tea to the main sitting room for his wife and her guest. One of the Chinese helpers tried anxiously to take the tray away from Hudson, but he would not let her do a job that he was perfectly capable of doing. Hudson had many other things to do, but none more important than bringing tea. Afternoon, ladies, Hudson announced to his wife, Maria, in his most charming voice, but it was completely ignored by the women who found themselves myopically engaged in conversation. Tianxi, the young Chinese boy that Hudson and his wife had adopted, was running underfoot. Tianxi was such a blessing to their family, filling their home and the sunny sounds of toddler laughter after the death of their first child. 
Cooing sounds from a solo bassinet set by the open window gave evidence that baby Grace had awakened from her nap and would soon need attention. Mary Ann and Maria Jane were both taking a rare momentary break from the responsibilities of the Ningbo Girls' School. It was August 1st, and for them, it was a special day. Hudson was going to share in the evening at the Bridge Street Church about the importance of the date and the late Robert Morrison. It is all I heard growing up, Hudson Taylor's wife said, incognizant of both the tea and her husband. My father studied Chinese under him, speaking of the late Robert Morrison. I know, Marianne chimed. I was there too. Maria Jane swiped her hand in the air, acknowledging such. Of course you were. Of course you were. Is there anyone you either don't know or haven't studied with, Marianne? Hudson laughed. His comments could have fallen on deaf ears, but he wasn't certain. Marianne never really approved of Hudson. From the first day that Hudson proposed to Maria Jane, Mary Ann was not in agreement to such an engagement. She had been with Maria Jane since she was just a young girl. Maria Jane was born and raised in China, but was orphaned after her father died in China. She had since been raised by Mary Ann in Ningbo. Hudson had nothing but the deepest admiration for Mary Ann Aldersley. Her name was a legend around the world. She was the first woman to ever set foot in China as a missionary. Her pioneering spirit not only bled over to Maria Jane, but was also irreplaceable as she trained single women for the arduous mission work in China. It was August 1st, the day that was remembered every year among the missionaries as the passing of Robert Morrison. I was there with your mother and father, trying to make sense of the strange sounds coming out of Mr. Robert Morrison's mouth. He kept saying words in Chinese and getting us to repeat, Marianne laughed. But Robert Morrison was so passionate about getting missionaries to China, and your parents were so excited. Maria Jane laughed in reply. My father often spoke of the days when Robert Morrison came and stayed in their home to study medicine and astronomy from John, my grandfather. Robert brought Sam Tuck with him, and my grandmother, Eliza, would cook for them. My father was only a small boy, but he remembers the strange Chinese man in their home. He really made an impact on your father, Maria Jane. After hearing about all the adventures of Robert Morrison, your father applied to the London Missionary Society and studied in Ghostport under Dr. David Bogue, following exactly in his footsteps. He even went straight to Malacca to serve at Robert's school. Where I was born, Maria Jane finished. Marianne had been leaning forward, building up with excitement to end on that note, but leaned back and exhaled in completion when Mar Maria Jane finished her sentence. She continued to lean back as she suddenly remembered her good friend, Maria. Your father and mother, Sam Tak, Maria and I were all in class together, studying Chinese with an amazing woman, Mary said as she dug deep in the recesses of her earliest memories of training to be a missionary together with Robert Morrison. Maria Newell, there we were, three of us, all named Mary, your mother, Maria Dyer, and then there was me and Maria Newell. Maria Newell applied to the London Missionary Society, and we were certain that she would never be approved. They had never approved of an unmarried female before, but she did it, and they approved her. Oh, we were so excited in those days. Marianne brought her teacup up to her lips and paused mid-air, looking at Hudson Taylor. Hudson's presence was finally realized in that moment, as her memory prompted her. 
And she married your boss, Marianne said, catching Hudson's attention. She married Carl Gutzlaff not long after arriving. Carl Gutzlaff was the leader and founder of the Chinese Evangelization Society, and Hudson was their first missionary. Carl spent so many years working together with my father and Robert Morrison before they passed, Maria Jane added. He has been a true trailblazer. I am sitting here today because of Carl and his late wife, Maria, Hudson acknowledged. And I am sitting here today because of my mother, Maria, and of course you, Marianne, Maria Jane said, raising her teacup. Let's hear it for the three Marys. And I am sitting here because of Robert Morrison. If it were not for him, it is arguable that none of the three Marys would have ever made it to China. So on this day, August 1st, Marianne continued. Let me read a quote from Robert's journal. Mary pulled out a piece of paper from a bag that sat silent, silently under the table. She slowly unfolded it and placed it in front of herself. She pushed it away from her face and then pulled it closer, moving it away again, attempting to adjust her eyes to the size of the characters. Her voice suddenly softened as she read the words of Robert Morrison. Our situation requires the exercise of religious principles faith and hope and constant regard to divine providence. I trust that through the merits of Jesus, the Son of God, admission will eventually be granted us to the mansions he is preparing in heaven for all of his true disciples. We are strangers and sojourners on earth. We are literally aliens in this land, much to be grateful for, both to providence and our fellow creatures. Still, we are not at home. This is not our rest. We look forward to a better country. Oh, I love that that <laughs> quote from his journal, from Robert Morrison's journal. And that setting of the, the tea time with Hudson Taylor uh, really does highlight, without Robert Morrison, none of the people would have been sitting there at that table. Arguably, Hudson Taylor himself would have never made it to China. It, this is just one of those aspects where one person can make a difference and their ripples make ripples and make ripples. Where if you do something bad, if you fail in the calling that God has on your life, that will impact you, but also your children, your friends, the people that you were supposed to meet and never met. The places you were supposed to go and never went. But if you choose to do what God has called you to do, then you meet lives that will touch lives that will touch lives. This is why I believe you have generations of blessings in places like England, Singapore, Hong Kong, and generations of curses in places like Somalia, Iran, Iraq, Syria, North Korea. Because the choices that we make today impact the generations after us. You have the choice to not just do what God has called you to do, to make the lives better of the people that you have direct communication with today, but you indirectly make deposits into people's lives several generations down the road.
today in China. We have people that are experiencing revival because of deposits that continue to grow and benefit since the days of Robert Morrison. One man made a choice and so many generations were impacted. Tens of millions of people have been impacted. That's why this story, bury me in China is so important. Yeah. Awesome. Love that last. Yeah, so, I mean, chapter. just so people know, we should probably let people know you can go to back to Jerusalem, my website and, and buy the ebook, or you can go to, um, well, actually that will send you to underground publishing. So just go to our website. You can find it there. Or if you would like the, um, print version, you can go to the Amazon in your country and order it. And the print should arrive within a couple of days. Um, so that's where you can buy bury me in China. So you can go to our website, backtojerusalem.com. If you've listened to this podcast before, you're familiar with the website. If you have not, if you're a first-time listener and you've pulled this podcast up on YouTube or someplace like iTunes or wherever you're listening to your podcasts, you can go to our website, backtojerusalem.com, spelled out exactly as it sounds, backtojerusalem.com, or you can go to our publishing company, which is undergroundpublishing.co.uk undergroundpublishing.co.uk. Thanks so much, Bethany, for joining us and sharing about this amazing book. I, did we lose you? Can you hear me? I can, yes. I just wanted to say thank you oh, for joining sorry, us I for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, next time we'll probably be with, with another book. Who knows? Yes. And I want to thank you so much for downloading this Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China. God bless.